Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest weekly podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host and interviewer each week. You may recognize my voice or my face from the privilege of hosting Franklin Covey's other weekly podcast, now the world's largest podcast dedicated to the topic of Leadership Weekly called On Leadership with Scott Miller. And after five years and hundreds and hundreds of interviews, what we learned from that podcast was although we have the privilege weekly of interviewing business titans and best-selling authors and Pulitzer Prize winning journalists and famous athletes and celebrities and sometimes people that are household names because of a trauma they survived or recovered or something they discovered or researched, it wasn't always the big celebrity that got the most downloads or the most reviews or the most shared. It was sometimes, most frequently, people like you and I that had remarkable careers but were very relatable. We could learn from their journey, and that's why we spun off this new podcast where each week we have intimate conversations with members from the C-suite, global public brands, entrepreneurial companies, and with some occasions, family-owned businesses. Rare occasions, which is why today's guest is so special. Her name is Julie Charlstein, and she's the CEO of Premier Dental. Now, that, may, that name may or may not be resonant with you. This is a family-owned business where for four generations it's been led by members of her family. Her, I believe, maybe great-grandfather founded this business 100-plus years ago, and Julie has been so gracious to join us today to talk about her own leadership journey. Julie, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Hello, Scott. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we are a fourth generation family business, 110 years old this year. Um, and Premier Dental is inspired solutions for daily dentistry, which means that we develop, manufacture and distribute innovative consumables for the oral health professional around the world. So things that your dentists and hygienists are using day in and day out in their offices and that hopefully have, have been in your mouth. So you might not have heard of us, but hopefully we have taken care of you. I mean, really, you're an, an, an innovator, a manufacturer, and you sell tools that are likely in every dentist, orthodontist office in America, things that we see but may not know the name of every day. Is that right? When you go to your dentist, yes, you will hopefully be seeing our products. Do you also make products that are purchased retail, like someone like me that's going to Walgreens or CVS or Kroger? Do you also make products that the average retail consumer buys? We did just launch a separate product and business. It's called Izzo, IzzoSmile.com, which is the only four-in-one oral care system for at-home use to elevate your oral care and to help you build a healthy confidence. That's a new business for us. Um, and we decided to, you know, you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, we decided to take our centuries worth of understanding of the needs of the dentist, the needs of the patient, and take our science and translate that into what could be used at home in partnership with the dentist. We say it's for the 363 days a year that you're not at the dentist. So take that down from 6,000 feet to six feet. Is that a toothbrush? <laughs> is that like an Invisalign? Is that a pick floss? Like, like what exactly is that device or tool? So it, it is brush, paste, scale, and sanitize. So it is a very special and cool, unique toothbrush. But also what's the coolest thing and the biggest differentiator about it is that you can remove the toothbrush head and put on a profi head. A profi head is what the dental hygienist uses to polish your teeth when you're at the dentist. So that's a very special 
um, and differentiating feature. And then we also have enamel polishing paste. Again, something you do not find at retail, something that is designed for the hygienist, for the professional, which, re -re which we reformulated to allow it to be sold OTC. It also has a scaler that is devised and based off of, again, a professional scaler, but we've changed the angulation, changed the material to have it be softer and safe for at-home use, and also a sanitizer so that you are able to sanitize your toothbrush. People don't think about this, but there are a lot of germs and viruses that live on your toothbrush. Um, so this kills those. And then there's also a, it's a subscription model so that you can get those things repeatedly to ensure that you are taking care of yourself. Okay, so now you have millions of people's attention because you've spoken in a language <laughs> that I can resonate with. Now you mentioned that this is a, a retail e-commerce site. Is this the kind of thing that you'll move into brick and mortar stores or you see it as a B2C avenue for you to reach customers directly, interdependent with their twice a year care with their dentists? Is this a, a subscription model that someone like my wife or myself would go on and do this through e-commerce only? For the moment, yes, it is, is e-commerce only. Um, it, we do not have immediate plans for brick and mortar. It is a longer term thing, but we're starting out um, e-commerce. We have our website is osmile.com and it is also available on Amazon. Well, I think, thanks for sharing that. We don't usually invite our guests to have a pitch, but that was great and I'm super <laughs> interested. So I will be visiting. I'm glad that you, uh, you articulated that way. Let's talk about some of the unique aspects that come with a family-owned business. You are fourth generation CEO of what was your great-grandfather's founding business. I believe you're the first female CEO in the company's history. Is that right? That, that is correct. And tell me, uh, this is an interesting question. I want you to think about it for a moment. Uh, are there any business practices or leadership competencies that you feel don't exactly apply or need to be modified when taken from maybe public organizations or other private companies that aren't family-owned business and be modified in a family-owned business? I guess I'm asking, what's different when it comes to leadership, culture, running the business and a family-owned enterprise? Family business dynamics are very different from publicly held businesses, but also very much the same. Um, in, in, when, when you look at it, obviously in regular businesses, your boss, the person that you're reporting to, is not necessarily your parent <laughs> or a family member. So there's those dynamics that need to be navigated very carefully. And something that is also witnessed from the outside of the family, people within the organization. So that needs to be done very, um, very delicately and very intentionally. Um, also, there's a different level of responsibility when you ascend to a leadership role in a family business, because you're not talking about you're not only talking about responsibility for the company, the organization, all of your amazing employees, um, the industry that you serve, but you're also talking about the the preservation and the strengthening and the moving forward of a family legacy. So there's an entirely there's there's an additional level of heft <laughs> yeah. that that comes yeah. with leadership of a family business. Yeah, I can imagine. It, it seems to me anecdotally that more often not than is the case, someone fourth generation down chooses not to be involved in a family business. It seems like it's more the outlier. 
that a, a, a child, a grandchild, a great-grandchild chooses to build their career inside the family-owned business. I only wish I'd had the opportunity to be involved in a family-owned business. I would have stayed. Can you rewind a little bit and talk about your own professional journey? Were you always in the business? Did you rise through the ranks? Did you pivot out and come in? Talk about what that journey was like and what's there to be learned from that? Sure. Well, it was absolutely never my intention to come into the business. Um, and I think one thing that is wonderful about our family and probably a little bit unique is that there's no pressure to join the business. Um, so it's something that I came to on my own. My undergraduate degree are in the, in the very useless uh, subjects of political science and Judaic language and literature. So I worked in those arenas for a little bit and was unsure of what I wanted to do. So I came and worked at the company for a, a short period and said, okay, well, maybe I should go to business school if this is something that I'm interested in doing. Um, so I told my father, and this just shows you how um, uh, non-pushy the situation was. I said, well, I, I think I'm gonna go to business school. And his answer was, well, you really like art history. Why don't you go to graduate school for that? <laughs> um, so I said, well, I appreciate you wanting to further my education, but if I am going to work here and you want me to help you at some point, maybe I should do that. So I said, okay, I'll take one class. And I really liked it. So then I decided to um, enroll. And then I worked outside of the business. So I'd worked outside before, came in for a very short period of time, went to school, worked outside again. And when I was um, working outside, my father started calling me, what are you interested in doing? Had you thought about coming back in? And that's when kind of the discussion started. And I started doing research about family businesses in general, research about our industry, research about our business, and I made the decision to come in. And I came in as a product manager, um, so I would say kind of mid-level, and um, I worked my way up after being a product manager. I was responsible for the product management team. Um, then I went on to do business development, became the president, and then I became the CEO. So that was over probably about a 20, 15, 18-year career journey within the organization before I became CEO. And tell me, Julie, I'm guessing there's unique pressure being the granddaughter, great-granddaughter of the founder. What, what, how many employees do you have worldwide? About 150. Yeah, so it's a manageable size company, obviously a big footprint in your industry. Specifically, are there some cultural values that you've chosen as the CEO to carry forward that perhaps your ancestor founded? And there's some other things that you've said, you know, time out, we got to change this. I honor the legacy of that, but this needs to be changed for the survival of the company, for future opportunities for employees and our customers and our family. Can you think of maybe one thing that you've chosen that's sacred that you're carrying forward, and something you had the boldness, maybe where people disagreed to say, no, we're going to change this and here's why. So being in a legacy company, um, I think one of the things that allow companies to move forward within one family ownership structure for so many time, for so many years, is that culture is a thing before culture was a thing. So now culture is such a huge buzzword and everyone's talking about it. But with our business, and I think with many others, there was an innate understanding that culture was very important and that that is what would allow um, our organization to survive and, and evolve. So 
our, our culture is really inculcated um, and foundational to who we are. It's not on it's not on a plaque somewhere. I can't you know list you bullet points. Um, but the the essential premise is we are good people. We treat our people right, and we make good products that operate amazingly well. Um, I know that sounds very, very simplistic, um, but the, the good people and good relationships is very, very important. And we hire to that. And you actually, in addition to having our team really be at the pinnacle of their, of their roles of, uh, in the industry overall, we also really look for personality and are they able, do they engender what what we think is important. My grandfather always used to say, a part of you belongs to Premier. And there's a, a deep understanding of that and that that is a true, true privilege. Um, one thing that I that I added to, to the culture was actually fun. I, I like to have fun. I think it's very important. We're all together for a lot of time. Um, so just making sure that we're having fun doing simple little things like at meetings. We don't get right into the meeting. I start with a fun question of the day. It's another way for everyone to get to know each other on a different level and to reset a little bit. Another thing in terms of the, I, I wouldn't say fundamental culture, but just in general, when businesses, businesses can sometimes get complacent and there can be less of a sense of urgency. So that's something that I definitely brought. I don't think that that is a cultural change overall. Um, I think it's a shift in mindset. It makes perfect sense. I'd like to talk about the unique role that you're in and how you, how you create an identity for yourself outside of the family. I mean, obviously, as the CEO of a family-owned multi-generational company, I'm guessing it's somewhat consuming that your identity becomes CEO of the family-owned business. And what's it like to go to holidays and, and family reunions, and I don't know what faith you are, but religious holidays where perhaps you gather together, are you able to separate sort of your, your work persona from the Julie outside of the CEO of the family-owned business? I'm guessing a significant part of your generational wealth is tied to this business, a lot of pressure for that. Maybe I'm wrong altogether, but do you, do you kind of have two personas? Do you need to set boundaries when, when you know, when your brother comes up and wants to know how his stock is doing? I mean, how do you make sure that you have an identity outside of being the fulcrum of the family business? You were talking in your intro about, about relatability. Um, and I am who I am all of the time, irrespective of the circumstance. So I am just authentically me. I am not treated differently. I do not act differently. If there are questions posed to me, I will answer them to the greatest of my ability with the greatest clarity and transparency possible. Um, but I do not behave differently and I am not treated differently. I think I heard once where you're prone to drop a colorful word or two. I, I, I too, am part of that culture. <laughs> tell me, tell me about, tell me the role of a leader, in your opinion, in terms of setting the standard of behavior, word choice, self-restraint. How do you deal with being yourself, which you are, you just talked about that, and also kind of setting the standard of what you want everyone else to what, what, what standard do you want everyone to hold themselves to? Along with the statement of a part of you belongs to Premier is another very important statement that my grandfather always used to make, which is remember who you are. 
And I think the coupling of the two of those is what really guide me through my leadership and through my example to others and the way that I comport myself and the way that our team does as well. Um, so while I definitely curse, it is never out of anger. It is always out of it is always to provide emphasis or definition or fun. So when I when I do that, it is never um, to admonish anyone or anything like that. It is just part of um, what I guess I would say is my outgoing personality. I, I'm going to use that in the future. It's just part of my outgoing <laughs> personality. How could you not love that? It's interesting. I, those who know me, I love to curse. I just don't like to hear it. I just want to say it. I want to be the curser, <laughs> not the cursee. So I get, uh, I get, I can relate to you. Uh, what kind of pressures do you face? Like on a day-to-day -day basis, are you focused on growth? Are you yes? Are you focused on customers? Yes. But uh, interestingly, like, are you focused on business development, innovation, cash containment, passing the baton to the next generation, growing the next gen of leaders? Like, where do you choose? to spend most of your time as the CEO of this fourth generation business to make sure that it's here for the next four generations, but also to make sure that you're providing and innovating so that you're relevant in the market. In our pre-discussion, you were very clear to say, you know, try not to give short answers. So the answer to that question is yes, <laughs> which is a short answer, which is to say, all of those things are very important and need to be focused on by me at different times and at different levels. Um, so obviously innovation, that's the lifeblood of our organization. Um, we have a vitality index to look and see how, how much of our revenue is coming from new products. Then obviously, of course, there's operational excellence, margin expansion, what, is, what do our inventory levels look like related to that, um, what's going on in the marketplace. So all of these things are obviously paramount to the growth and success of a business. Um, I focus on different ones at different times. And of course, I have a fabulous team that is, that is looking at specific areas as well. Julie, what's the best? How many direct reports do you have? Um, right, right now I have three, two, two or three. I went from I think about six or seven to two or three because I only very recently hired a president. I used to be CEO and president, so I was doing a lot more um, day to day yeah, and had a yeah. lot more of the C-suite reporting to me. Um, so now it's essentially the president and the CEO, uh, the president. I'm sorry, and yes. the CFO. Yeah. Um, with so, with a dotted line to the COO. Got it. So rewind a couple of months prior to you inserting as president position. You had about six direct reports. What would they say was the best part of reporting to Julie? I think that I am collaborative, clear, fair, demanding, and fun. I'm gonna come back to that, but on the flip side, show perhaps for some guests an unnatural level of self-awareness and vulnerability. What would those same six people say are the most frustrating part of reporting to you? I've been in this business and industry a very long time, um, which is fantastic. And sometimes it's also not so great um, that sometimes I know a lot and I might get too, too micro-focused on something where perhaps I shouldn't. Um, I think that that would be, could be a complaint.
that I, um, even though I give a lot of um, latitude, sometimes I could get focused on something smaller that is not as important in the overall scheme of things while they're, while they're working on what, what the vision is. I mean, it's a common issue with executives, is it not? Because in some cases, you or someone could be accused of being a micromanager or fixated on a small part. And someone else might say, and that's why we've been successful is because we sometimes get obsessed with things that we think are important to cultural or process or profitability. I'm guessing, you know, someone's micromanager or somebody else's perfectionist or such. Do you find that you, you, you establish any like self-regulation to have people tell you when you're maybe, you know, lost in the forest for the trees or whatever that adage is? What do you do to sort of self snap yourself out of when perhaps you're spending time or energy on an area where you shouldn't be doing that? I, I, I am very um, aware of addressing the fact that I don't know what I don't know. Uh, I also am very, I'm definitely the leader and the one that sets, sets the strategy and the vision. So I hire to that, to people that are going to be able to execute on it while I do not know how to implement yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I remind myself, you know, these are amazing people and I hired them for a reason. So let them execute on the vision and the goals that I laid out for them because that's what they're doing and they know how to do it. I think it's beautifully said. I think lots of times I hear this comment from leadership experts that say, we sometimes lose track of how smart the people were during the interview process. And then when we get them in, we make these judgments that they don't know what they're doing. No, they're the same person. They're just as smart. Right. Perhaps we're not empowering them to go do and unleash the genius that they have. Last question, and I want to rewind to something you said. When I asked you what the best parts of working for you are, you used the word clear. And I'd like you to kind of unwrap that. Why is that important? Why is that an asset to have as a leader? And what does it look like, feel like, sound like on a daily basis as part of your leadership style? Everyone, even though they might not admit it, needs and likes structure um, and to a degree rules. So I'm not setting down rules at all, but with clarity, it builds a structure and understanding of what needs to be executed. So I communicate very clearly what the needs are, either what my needs are for a specific project, what the overall needs are um, for a given opportunity. Um, and with that clarity comes a better result. If I'm not clear, and there have been situations like that, the result takes longer, or the result is not the result that I anticipated. So if I fall short in relaying that clarity, the result also falls short. So I need to be very disciplined in delivering the, that clarity with expectation. I think it was Brene Brown, the famous author, podcaster, keynote speaker, researcher, that said, clear is kind. I think it's very true in relationships and business. The more clear you can be about expectations, the less conflict there is, the less confusion there is around expectations and, and, um, and, and mismatched expectations, which is the basis of conflict. So I appreciate it. Now, Julie, there are going to be thousands of people who are going to rewind this interview to hear that website again because I'm going to go to it literally <laughs> when we hang up. I never do this. I do not allow these podcasts to be pitches. 
But I'm inviting you to take another minute and talk about this innovative tool that you've developed that is a toothbrush, it's a um, scraper, it's a polisher, and a self-cleaner, in essence. I'm not your CMO, but I feel like <laughs> it, because I'm going, is it available now? And what can you tell us? And tell us again slowly the website, because I'm going to it, so is my wife. I'm going to post about it on my social today. It is, I'm so excited. It is available now. Um, it is called Izzo. The website is izzosmile.com, which is I-Z-Z-O, smile.com. And it is available as well on Amazon. And we were talking about innovation and, and the way that Izzo came about, we had, we had and still have a product, a toothpaste actually, that is very, it's an amazing toothpaste um, and is also good for consumers, even though we sell it professionally. So I was talking to a friend of mine who was a marketing guru and was saying, you know, asking about ways to get this to the consumer. This was way before social media was so prevalent, not way before, a little bit before. And he said to me, Julie, that's actually easy, but you need to think bigger. And it was that comment that led to the development of Izzo. What does think bigger mean? We have such a foundation, such an incredible understanding of, of science and technology in, in this space. How do we take that and create something that the consumer can use in partnership with the dentist? So that's really how it came about, just that thinking bigger, innovation. And um, we, you know, we just won um, one of Fast Company's 100 Most Innovative Company Awards. So we are, just as we are excellent in developing uh, products for the dentist, that same skill set has translated into developing products for the consumer. So hopefully your dentist uses our products in the office, and now you have the opportunity to use them at home. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to be your next social influencer using the ISO on all of my platforms. So I'll look Love for that it. royalty check. <laughs> Julie Charlstein, nice to meet you, CEO of the Four Generation family-owned business, Premier Dental. Thanks for taking the time today to invest in all of our listeners and viewers. Best of success to you and the new Izzo product. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite. <laughs>